Joe Balfour, the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Testuli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is not Dave Cameron making his weekly Monday appearance. It's not Dave Cameron. It is Jeff Sullivan. Jeff Sullivan making his weekly Monday appearance while Dave Cameron takes some manner of pleasure vacation. Pleasure vacation. As I say, Jeff Sullivan is the guest on this edition of Fangraphs. And as Dave Cameron does, Jeff Sullivan endeavors to analyze all baseball. Not, it seems... Not a lot of baseball to analyze. However, the Padres have made a lot of moves in the month of December. Moves which uh, perhaps merit or uh, continue to merit some attention. Sullivan comments on the relationship between the activity of a team in terms of making uh, off-season transactions and the perception of improvement in that same team. The relationship between activity and improvement. We also looked at projected team defenses. The Padres isn't great. Minnesota Twins uh, also suspect. Finally, with regard to a certain Japanese shortstop in whom the Padres might be interested, Jeff Sullivan offers only the hottest of takes. There's the, the Blue Jays and Padres and Japanese team are interested in uh, Takashi Toritani, mm-hmm. who is a, a Japanese shortstop of 33 years. That's not true. He is 33 years old and he is a Japanese shortstop. He's not been a Japanese shortstop since his birth. Fangraph Sadio features Jeff Sullivan, and it begins right now. So, will you just say the same thing so people will believe it? <clears throat> Ready? Yeah. Hello, friend. Hello. Wow. That is going to blow some minds. I think I consider you a friend. No, I, I appreciate it, Jeff. I consider you one, too. I defend you uh, when all of my other friends uh, say mean things about you, <laughs> which which they all do to a man and to a woman. I defend uh, you. Yeah. I appreciate that. Wait, are those yeah. are your friends, not my friends? Well, they're, they're very clearly my friends. I think I am your friend. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've, I think I, one of my affectations is enjoying your affectations, I think. It's become a habit of mine is taking pleasure in the way that you are. Oh, Jeff. Such Merry sweet Christmas. things. Yeah, you're really in the giving spirit right now. <laughs> yeah. What are you, uh, what, what are you, San Diego? Yeah, San Diego. Mm-hmm. For, uh, for as much more time as it might take you to, uh, to post this podcast on fangraphs.com. I think so. I'll be in San Diego. Yeah. I think so. Wait, are you? When are you leaving then? Tomorrow? Uh, yeah, tomorrow night. Okay, yeah. No, no, this will be up by then. Uh, in fact, the reason we are recording on Monday, you and I, uh, now nominally you are re- you are substituting for Dave Cameron, who makes a weekly Monday appearance in Fangraphs Audio. Understood. But, um, but you, you and I have been recording on Tuesdays. So this is of no interest to the listener, <clears throat> likely. But it should be noted that there that. It is. It's interesting to me because what we started on Tuesday, then we just kept doing Tuesdays. Uh, yeah. You know, did you ever watch Dexter? Uh, I have not, but I understand the basic premise. Okay, but you've never seen an episode. No. Okay, let's try House of Cards. You know House of Cards. You yes. watch House of Cards. Yeah. Okay, so you know how when you're watching uh, House of Cards, you start an episode and then the credits start, and then you're like, oh, the credits are the whole episode. Oh, there's more credits. <laughs> Look how there's more credits, and it's it's a really off-putting way to begin the program, mm-hmm. even though the rest of it is really good. Yeah. Yeah. So I was reminded of that by this podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, I guess what do some shows? Do some shows? What do they? Do, what, do those? Do, do those particular shows just have long? Do they just have lots of people working on them? And I don't know. Maybe they just want to play out the the entirety of the theme that they contracted mm-hmm. to have uh, to have recorded for the yeah. show. Yeah. I don't know why they take so long. Aside from they can do it, and that's it. Well, you could also just fast forward. 
Yes. So yes, you can. Yeah, and there are there are programs uh, on which I routinely fast forward. I, I'm sure for some people it's this. This is a program. And some people wish you could fast forward live baseball, which uh, I guess I just started talking about baseball. Well, there's actually there is no baseball to discuss right. uh, for the sake of this podcast. So whatever, we'll keep talking about credits. I don't know why they do that. Maybe we can just Google during the podcast. What do you? Why do credits? No, but uh, no, you can do, but you can with live baseball. Here's a strategy that I've employed before: is <clears throat> I will begin to watch a game when it is in like the fourth inning mm-hmm. or fifth inning, and then that way I could just cut out all the commercials. I guess you could do that in theory. You could any amount of time after any amount of time after which the game has started. Uh, so, all right, you have in mind the number of minutes that that will be dedicated to commercials. Yes. And you add that to the start time. And that, and that's any time after that second time, uh, is when you can begin watching it and have no interruptions from commercials. Okay, so in the mind of 2014, Carson says Julie, uh, Colby Lewis did not pitch in the major leagues. In the mind of, in the mind of 2014. Wait, how is that related? Uh, the joke was that if you picked up games in the fourth inning, you're not seeing Kobe Lewis. It's a no, joke about how he was a bad pitcher. Yeah, but I'm not saying I'm not saying that you pick up you necessarily pick up games in the fourth inning. I'm saying you start watching when the game, the live game, is in the fourth or fifth inning. You start from the beginning. Oh, I understand. Do you see what I'm saying? And now you, if you have a DVR sort of thing, because I watch all mm-hmm. my games with the MLB TV, whatever. Uh huh. Then you can continue through the game without without watching commercials, or if you're on MLB TV, that. Sort of uh, screen that substitutes for commercials sometimes. Yeah, I guess that could that could be irritating if you care about the game and you're also sort of following along on Twitter because then Twitter would spoil things. But also uh, maybe your uh, perspective would would be avoiding Twitter. Uh, because yeah, yeah in this, right. In this case, you are you are planning to immerse yourself in the game. Another uh, another strategy I, w- I have employed, probably even more than that first one I mentioned, uh, is I will well I will start a game late or it's sort of. Uh, it's a, it's an extension on that strategy I mentioned. I will start a game when it is in only like the fifth when it's in the fifth or sixth inning. I will start watching from the beginning, but I will only watch one team's at bats, and it's usually because I'm watching a pitcher uh, about mm-hmm. which I particularly care about whom I particularly care. Mm-hmm. So, and then that's that's a strategy I employ. Yeah, and I think like the third strategy or maybe fourth that you employ is that perhaps you just don't care what happens in the game. It's just you don't it's fun watch to watch. It. Yeah, that's most well, yeah. but most games you don't care what happens. I think. Yeah, it's uh well, I guess we discussed in the last podcast the whole perspective of fandom, and I think I can feel it uh, gradually eroding. Yeah, a, a little bit where it's still like you know there's there's a favorite team and I want them to be good, but uh, it's the strangest. Thing. I don't like. I don't know if adults would pick up and decide I like this team the most, mm-hmm. as opposed to I like this sport. I'll watch it, and that's that gives me pleasure. But uh, team loyalties in, in team blo- I uh, maybe there's a reason why when you're looking at like baseball team blogs or even, or even just sports team blogs, you will seldom find a blog that's run by somebody's like I don't know what would you say 35 or older. And there are of course exceptions, but unless it tends they started, to be, unless they started before that age. Well, sure, but even there, I mean, I think you kind of, you don't always, I I don't want to say grow out of it, because that kind of 
might repel some of the listener base, but it's something that when you write about a team forever and ever and ever, you start to reflect on what you're actually doing and why you do it. You can't help but get philosophical because there's so many goddamn games in a year and so many things you have to write. You just sort of start exploring parts of your psyche that maybe you didn't plan on exploring as a sports fan, and you start to think, well, hold on a second. Why Why this? Why, why do this? Why care so much about this? Right as opposed to just the beauty of, of the sport. But then perhaps my perspective, our perspective, is warped by having to write about everybody. No, well, you spend most of your first days uh, writing about baseball on, on one team. Yes, and I, I do that no longer. Right. This is informed my opinion of the way that things go. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you could eventually, I think you could write yourself out of anything by spending enough time with it. You say, yes. oh, God, I don't want this. Anymore, <laughs> I don't want any of this anymore. Like you I could, think, yeah, you uh, many writers will go through that with whatever they're doing, right? Uh, yeah, cyclically. Yeah, well, over. I think overexposure is possible. Yeah. Oh, all right, nailed that down. <laughs> I gotta tell you, every, I am a little more distracted because ordinarily, if I'm recording a podcast from home, I'm just looking at the wall. But right now, I'm looking out the window behind my computer to sunshine and, and palm trees swaying gently in the breeze and it's distracting yeah. uh, a little extra so from yeah, like, I feel uh, well I feel terrible you, you feel terrible I feel terrible for you oh I, I'm okay I'm glad that you're not ill <laughs> you don't sound ill no I'm not ill I'm not no. ill I mean there could be some something very serious just beginning to form with inside me. Worse, worse. There could be something very serious that's just not symptomatic that's been forming for years. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Although, is there anything that's that's is there any sort of disease or malady that is that is horrible for you? But there, but the symptoms do not manifest until the end, if ever. Oh, sure. Yeah, there's people who get diagnosed with like stage four cancers. And they feel uh, frequently, no... and they go in with either nothing, and it's just a regular checkup, or they go in with like something very minor. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. well, that's so that's the most so that is a frightening prospect. And of course, uh, discussing it in this particular context, I think there's uh, some added uh, gravity because uh, our friend and our boss, Dave Cameron, of course, has had to deal with this on a real life basis. But we're all going to have to contend with it at some point. Uh, the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Or the, even if not the end, then the prospect of the end. Uh, and the thing, like with something like cancer, yes, if it's forming inside of you at a time when you feel entirely fine. Like I know that I had roomed with Dave Cameron just a month before, uh, he was, di- he received his diagnosis. Or even before mm-hmm. I think he had showed symptoms. And that was, that, I mean, this of course, you feel it's the worst for Dave Cameron, but it was also, <laughs> <laughs> like, at an existential level, it was terrifying for me because I was like, whoa, I was next to Dave Cameron. He looked fine. He looked fine. And if a person can look fine one moment and then be diagnosed with um, an aggressive form of cancer the next, you know, you are you are that other person. You know, I mean, th- that that second person, yes, is dealing with the realities of it at the moment. But that's you, too, because you're made of you're made basically of all the same material. Yeah, you don't just like cough and then you think, oh. It started. Yeah, there it right. is. Right. There yeah, is a moment though when it's answer. it's forming, and it's it. And it, the problem with something like cancer or any these uh, any other host of uh, other illnesses or diseases is they're so they there's something about them that's that simultaneously 
there's they possess great evil and also great indifference because they're really just cells that are trying their best to get a to get along in the world. Yeah, they just they just want to replicate like anybody else. They're uh, mm-hmm. it's just really all all it is oftentimes is just more of you, which in a sense is like oh that's that's a noble. It's like you're a little out of control. Please stop. But yeah, I on. appreciate yeah. you the intent. <laughs> I like what you're. I like what you're trying to do. Yeah, you kind of sympathize with can- like cancer. Just doesn't know better, right? It's just like, well, I can't. It, it has uh, like it, let's let's call it. I don't know an eating problem. Mm-hmm. It, it overeats. It, it gets a little too big, and you're like, please stop. But you know he's not going to stop. And it's just like, yeah, well, that, that's my friend who eats too much. Yeah, like we have, we have meaningful conversations all the time, and he knows like he goes to meetings. He understands this problem, but at the end of the day, he's just going to eat more and more. Right, but there's, yes, but in this case, he's eating you. Uh, well, that, you're having some very serious conversations about that. Maybe you hang out a little less. This is turning into a mixed. So, uh, how how was your how was your holiday? Oh, it was okay. Hey, yeah. can I ask you a question? Yeah, this is this you is can a ask base- me several. This is a baseball question. You did a piece last week um, on, on the projected team defenses. Uh, yeah. And I'm pretty sure that one thing we know from that is that the twins, the twins are not well acquitted by that measure. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Now here's a, so here's some here's an arrangement of facts which nearly form a, a thought when placed in in proximity to each other. I know that. All right. So the uh, the Padres have spent the offseason acquiring offensively oriented players, um, of course a host of outfielders, and as you note, as you also as you noted elsewhere this week past week, uh, Derek Norris, mm-hmm. um, who's I, pretty fair to say below average defensive catcher. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but they will, in theory, they all those players are uh, are above average hitters relative to their positions. Mm-hmm. The Twins, I know the Twins last year had a surprisingly competent offensive uh, team, M- maybe above average. I'm going to say above average. Uh-huh. And they have also spent. They have also. They're also dealing with defensive difficulties, and as you note, are projected to do to. To um, have defensive difficulties. So here's a question: Are those are those two are those two, uh, two teams as similar as they are as they would appear given that arrangement of facts? Uh, what I'm going to ask you to do is actually repeat the identity of the first team because as you were talking about the twins, I started looking at the twins and then I realized that my brain zoned out. Padres. Was not paying attention. Padres. Padres. Padres and twins, of course. So uh, I think that with the Padres, I mean, you've got a little more, I'd say, uh, up, upside. That comes to the Padres. I think that when you look at the Twins, you generally don't think as Danny Santana, he's going to hit, or Trevor Plouffe, he's really good, or Brian Dozer is really good. And people seem to think, in my head, I, I sort of confuse Avisael Garcia and Osvaldo Arcia, which I think is for understandable reasons. And they're also somewhat similar similar players. But uh, I think uh, if which you, one was the one that, because of a sort of passing physical resemblance, and yeah, also because they played in the same team, the Avisael Avisail Garcia has compared to Miguel Cabrera, mm-hmm. and Osvaldo Garcia might actually be closer to being uh, Miguel Cabrera in terms of his performance. But I think there there are similarities between the Twins and the Padres that are very legitimate. I think there's there's actually quite more than Padres fans might like to admit. But the Padres clearly have a little more uh, name value, a little more uh, impact potential, and I think that uh, it's just. There's a lot of, I guess, perception bias that gets 
uh, folded in when you have a team that's been very active because I think people correlate activity with improvement mm-hmm. necessarily. And I think when you look at a team like the Twins, it, it's not done a lot aside from it added Phil Hughes a year ago and it, it added Torrey Hunter. And then the Padres just changed their entire roster. And that's exciting. And when people get excited, they start to think better things. And I think one of the reasons I'm putting up these uh, team projection and, and fan opinion polls uh, for one thing, it's because it's easy content, and I want that. <laughs> and for another, it's because I'm curious to see where people actually fall and to see. I don't. I want to examine little correlations. Like uh, people are very excited about the White Sox, of course, also because they've uh, they've made a lot of moves. But how much better did they really get? And the same with the Padres. And I will probably talk about the Padres a little later on because they're still the most recently active team. Uh, but I think that they're. If you look at the Padres right now, uh, it's been very exciting. I think we we can both agree. Yeah. Uh, but their infield currently is Yonder Alonso, Jed Jerko, Alexi Amarista, and Will Middlebrooks platooting with Jan Kervis Solarte. And their catcher is Derek Norris, who is basically a first baseman who wears funny gear. So you look at that and you think, well, that's not a very good infield at all. And then you look at the outfield, and Justin Upton, we know is good. Matt Kemp, we don't know is good. Will Myers, we don't know is good. Then the pitching staff, well, we don't know how good that actually is. There's Petco Park, and it's not very deep. So the Potters have been very active, but if you actually look at the team, I think... This is a team where if things go as things are projected to go, which is to say not very well, I think in hindsight people will be like, yeah, no, that was actually kind of pretty clear to see coming. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the bad defense and the slightly overrated pitching staff, which I hesitate to say because I know people are very fond of some of those pitchers. But, I mean, if you if you consider that, let's say, even if you're a Padres fan and you think Carlos Quentin is done, like you think he is toast and you think Seth Smith had a career year, and Will Venable isn't very good. You think all these things. So in that sense, guys like Myers and Kemp and, and Upton would be huge improvements. Well, the projections think Smith is fine and Quentin is fine and Venable is fine, which means by the projections, they're actually not big improvements, which means that that just means the projections before might have been a little too high on the Padres, but that would not mean that the projections now are low on the Padres. Uh well, wasn't okay. If, so if that wasn't, makes sense to you. wasn't Seth Smith more or less the best player on the team last year? I mean, among field players. <laughs> yes. Yeah, okay. he uh, he had he's never really actually been a bad hitter, and last year he was a particularly good hitter. He was thirty three percent better than average. He was worth almost three wins. Right. So he was roughly the best player, and I I assume that even if there's uh, maybe Rene Rivera, I think by WAR probably Rene Rivera. Was oh yeah, it was Rivera. Um, but Seth Smith was pretty good, and. Um, I don't know what his, I don't know what necessarily what his projections suggest, but one assumes that he's not going to be, he's not going to be a, a ton worse this next year. Although maybe he is, I don't know. Um, One fourteen WRC plus. And then, uh, Car- and then Carlos Quentin, of course, was why would he be done? Because what? It's just injuries have conspired to ruin his. Yeah, career? injuries, and and last year, uh, he was he was awful. Mm-hmm. He was last okay. year when he when he played baseball. In fact, I was looking at the Padres' WAR page. He's not even on the first. Uh, first page of oh, that, and this not. is the Padres. So yeah, last year he was worth a uh, he was worth uh, oh, a God. win. Uh, the absolute value of his WAR was one. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, he was bad. He had a lot of injuries. And Padres fans seem to be of the opinion that his his body just stopped working, which of course is what you that's the natural conclusion when you look at uh, a player like Quentin who's had a ton of injuries and he's getting older. But I remember, I think it was 2007. Uh, I, I was writing about Raul Ibanez and how he was done mm-hmm. as a Mariner, and he was most certainly not. And there have been times in the past where we've 
many people have looked at David Ortiz and thought, oh, he's finally finished being an elite level player. Well, no, he wasn't. He's still an elite level DH. Yeah. Right. So, so really, cool, yeah. yeah. When a player is bad, he looks like he's finished. But all that is is uh, saying, yeah, well, he could still regress to his previous track record of being a good player, which is what Quentin was. I think that's why he'd be a good fit for like the Orioles because it, there's no such thing as a player who was bad but looked good and makes you feel better about his future projection. Like, no, if he was bad, then you're going to go into the visuals and see, oh, that's a bad player, but. That doesn't mean that he's going to project poorly or be bad in the future. Yeah, the the thing you say about uh, the re- the relationship between the uh, a club's sort of uh, what, off-season activity mm. and the the sort of excitement which that can breed, mm. um, I think it, I think it, it it's a it's a it's a it's a strong observation, Jeff Sullivan. Thank you. And I would also suggest that maybe. Part of part of the enthusiasm that accompanies that sort of thing, especially if there has been a turnover in the front office like there has uh, for the Padres, is that maybe it suggests that a vision is taking shape, mm-hmm. and that a that a that the GM and his colleagues have constructed a vision, or they've they've, they've decided upon a vision. They have vision, and now now they are constructing the roster to uh, to make that vision manifest. Yes. And that's the exciting thing because you want someone with a vision. Yeah, especially if you're the Padres and you know that the previous several visions, I guess, they didn't really materialize in any positive, exciting, watchable way. So, uh, yeah, uh, AJ Preller clearly has a vision. He has vision, first of all. We know that he has vision and he also has a vision. I think we know he has vision, although his predilection for acquiring poor defensive players would suggest otherwise. Well, maybe he's short-sighted. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he just like if he only got if he got like elite level infield defenders, mm-hmm. uh, but only but but another but he continued to acquire an array of uh, of corner outfielders. Mm-hmm. We might say that that yeah maybe that's proof that he's short sighted. He can only see what happens what takes place within the first hundred feet of the diamond. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, you could say that. Let's say, let's say that all of a sudden Ruben Amaro decided right now I'm going to build a winner. And he's going to put everything toward 2015. He's not doing that, quite obviously. But if he did, you could say, well, he has a vision. Yeah. They would be, uh, what I would suggest might be the worst possible vision for a team to have, right. aside from yeah. perhaps like the Dodgers selling everyone for low-level prospects. That would be another bad vision to have. Uh, I've and also had up bad the salary, vision. Picking up the salary. And, yeah. On all if the things. Dodgers paid everything and took nothing, that would be a vision. It would be a questionable vision yeah, right. that would, uh, I think it would, it would bring to center questions of the significance of this endeavor. And the Dodgers might be suggesting to everyone very uh, gently, maybe not so gently, like, hey, go outside. It's mm-hmm. Los Angeles. Maybe, maybe find something else to find meaning in. Yeah. So it would be, it would be uh, a gesture that might actually be of, of tremendous uh, societal benefit, but it would be to the Dodgers detriment. So whether that would be uh, a bad vision or a gesture of overall societal altruism is to be uh, debated when this finally happens. Mm-hmm. But that would be a vision. And a vision is exciting so, but you think except that for when they fail. You're talking Every about team a, has a vision. You're talking about a world in which Magic Johnson et al. have purchased the Los Angeles Dodgers ultimately, ultimately with the idea of promoting physical fitness in the greater Los Angeles area. 
Yeah. Like, hey, uh, you you know that team that you love, and sometimes you pay money to get to go to see, or yeah. you watch them on television, you follow on online. All these hours of your life spent following uh, a team of people in, in uniforms, and if we make the product continue to exist, but unwatchable and pointless and terrible, mm-hmm. then you will do something else. You have to. You, yeah, you essentially, you basically do have to, and your you're in a greater luck. And, yeah, your leisure yeah. dollars will be spent elsewhere. Yeah, you can put that towards something else, perhaps investments, perhaps your... Or just your take a walk. Day. There there are there are nice public spaces in Los Angeles County. Uh, take a walk, cli- do a little hiking, and invest that money. Invest that money. That, you there, well, there's a, there's a good question. If you if you reduce attendance deliberately at Dodger Stadium, you're reducing traffic. But then if those people aren't going to Dodgers games, are they then driving somewhere else? Probably they are. Uh, I think you have to in Los Angeles, don't you? I mean, roughly. I don't I don't really understand Los Angeles. I recognize that there are neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. People live in neighborhoods. Uh, but it seems as though the driving is still a necessity there. Yeah, there's houses, there's roads, there's some trees, there's uh, there's a lot of birds and, and supermarkets. Yeah, but well, there's all those things in other places too. But I'm talking about the the way that the I'm talking about yes, urban. you. It is imperative in uh, just about all major southwestern cities that you have a car because there is no yeah. getting around otherwise. Now, do you have do you have a car in Portland? <laughs> yes, yeah. I have. I have a thing I sit in that has wheels and a motor. Okay, it is. Was it, but, I was on Kelly Blue Book the other day trying to assess its, assess its value. Yeah. And and then I was confronted with a condition of, of the question of well, what is the car's condition? Is it yeah. excellent? Well, it's not. It's not excellent. I can't open the trunk. Is it very well? No, because if you can't open the trunk, it's probably not very good or good either. I would I would not if you were trying to sell it like in the classifieds or on like cars.com. I would not mention the thing about the trunk. No. I would breeze over it if I were you. Yeah, my, I think it's been it's been an embarrassingly long time since some, something happened to my trunk, and I can no longer open it. Uh, the key just didn't fit, and I think it. I mean, I have personal belongings that are in the trunk that I clearly <laughs> felt compelled to to obtain. But at this point, it's like a time capsule, right? And if I don't oh, open it, yeah, very exciting. Then it's like, what what might I find? And like in a thousand years, people might find this vehicle and be like, oh, this is what a maglite looked like in 2012, and that's yeah. or like a really old laptop is in so there. So you just throw everything in the back seat then? Yeah, I mean, I seldom have more than one passenger. Was there a day? So there, a couple of things happened. There was the day. There was the last day you ever opened and closed your trunk. Mm-hmm. There was the last day on which your trunk was openable and closable. Mm-hmm. And then there was the day you realized that it was no longer openable and closable. What is the sort of timetable for that? Uh, it's probably all within a few days. Are right, there? There is a day where it was it was sufficiently cold in Portland that I could no longer. Uh, it was difficult to use the locks on my car doors. Uh, yeah. The key would just struggle. And there was a delightful little day where I was uh, I was going to go visit my girlfriend across town. We were newly in a relationship at this Ooh, point. Yeah. And it was so a, it was very trying cold. times. Was, trying times. Lots of excitement. Lots of dread. Uh, no dread. Jesus. Who do you? Whatever. Uh, here was <laughs> here's where the dread came in. I was to I was to cross town. It was one of those beautiful, cold, crystal clear days in Portland, Oregon. Probably 20, 25 degrees. And I got into my vehicle with some struggle because the locks had yeah. had some trouble. So I finally got my door open, and then I closed my door, and it reopened, and I closed my door, and it reopened, and I realized, <laughs> oh, it's not latching. The car door is not latching to the thing that it locks to such that the door remains closed. Yeah. Now, if I were to just leave the door alone and drive forward, wind and momentum would would push the door in the direction of being closed, 
However, upon stopping at a light, perhaps it will <laughs> fly back open. So this is going to be dangerous. And so I, I drove 20 minutes across town with one hand on the wheel and one hand holding my door closed, praying that uh, that there would be no incident. And there has been no incident. I still haven't needed my spare tire. This is I'm I'm going to get a, a new vehicle. Okay. This, this vehicle is no longer suitable. As as I turn 30 in the foreseeable future, I think 30 is when you need a car that is more than a soapbox derby razor. Yeah. Yeah, you could do it. You get some nice cars. My wife and I bought a Nissan Versa Note. Excellent. Uh-huh. Leg space in the back. A lot of leg room. To be clear, uh, when you say you talk about getting a nice car, I work for Fangraphs.com. Yeah. No, no. So I, there are, there's an upper ceiling. Yeah. Well, this was, a, this was, I believe, one of the cheapest, uh, uh, one of the most affordable cars in the market. And uh, so it served us well thus far. Do you intend to be settled where you are for the long term? I don't think so. No, I mean, for for the time being, yes, but not forever. Right. I mean, if someone said you're going to be doing exactly what you're doing now, the whole thing, in, uh, I don't know, five or ten years, it would probably not sit well with me. But there's never been a time when that when anything else has been the case than that. Mm-hmm. So. I was thinking with this, with regard to, again, I was impressed by this observation you made, Jeff Sullivan. The illusion of improvement based off of frenzy of activity. Right. Uh, Provided at least that it's a frenzy of activity where the goal is clearly to get better. Like the A's have been very active, but it's not, that's sort of, I think that's different. That's uh, a reload, but I think any sort of, uh, attempt for improvement mm-hmm. will be construed. Well, there will be a relationship between the volume of activity and the perception of improvement. Yeah, but uh, but I think you have to be trying to get better. But I think that th- so the the mean trick about a sport, right? A sport is that there can always there can be the illusion of improvement, um, but <clears throat> generally there is a test, right? There is a test yeah. to see if improvement has actually occurred. Yeah, and that is the season. That is the season, right? <laughs> and the season does not necessarily because you'd what need what like a thousand or a million seasons. How many? How many would you need to to um, tease out the true talent? Uh, I mean, I'd I'd be content with like more than the one that we get. Yeah. Uh, although I also wouldn't because that would be a lot of baseball. But if I could just have like a simulator. Yeah. That that took a long time for each year. I think when you get to about a hundred, you start to have a real. A real good idea, and even one gives you like a decent idea, right? Right, sure, sure. There's so much noise, so maybe maybe it would work a little like when we do polls, like reader polls, where we it would be great to have like ten thousand or a hundred thousand votes, but realistically, you start to see the numbers stabilize honestly around like twenty five votes. Right. Like beyond that, you seldom really see the polls change because I think you're capturing a lot about uh, reader opinion. And granted, the season is not like reader opinion because reader opinion isn't susceptible to like Felix Hernandez getting Tommy John surgery. But, uh, yeah, I think 50 to 100 seasons would be really, really, really useful. And then a million seasons obviously would tell you everything. Right. So, um, so yeah, so, so, so you say the season, the season is the test. I mean, the season ultimately is the test because that's what people remember and that's the thing that matters. But if you were also trying to, like, if you, if you were able to arrange to, to give the test and to, yeah, to tease out the true talent so you could really judge the decisions that were made by the GM and his staff, mm-hmm. then you would do that. But it is the thing, like, because uh, a lot of times men, men are like, I got this, don't worry. That's what men mm-hmm. say a lot. Uh, and a lot of the people who work at baseball are men. So I'm sure that some of them say stuff like that. 
I've noticed that um, even even young men are are adept at practiced at uh, exhibiting or giving a, the the overall sense of authority as though they they have they are in control of what is happening. Mm-hmm. But the amount of times that people are actually in control of what's happening relative to the amount of times they think they're in control is a number. It's a fraction. <laughs> it is a fraction of the lower numbers on top. There's a this reminded me a little of something that just happened this morning where uh, I couldn't do any work over the weekend because the the A button on my keyboard stopped working mm-hmm. and the, it turns out A is in a lot of words more than I expected yeah. it to be. There's, it's in the word A first of all and a lot of team names, but uh, my new keyboard laptop keyboard arrived this morning, and so I was trying to uh, unfasten the old one and replace it with a new one. It's a pretty simple thing to do, but I was struggling because I hadn't done it on this laptop before. I am currently uh, in San Diego, so I asked my stepdad to recover his tools mm-hmm. because I figured there would be screws and, and uh, stuff to be done. And so he was having trouble at one point trying to pry one part open, and I watched him with a, a screwdriver struggle to do one particular thing, to unlodge one piece. Yeah. And then after watching him for 30, 45 seconds, I thought, well, here, let me try. And I proceeded to try the exact same thing he was doing, <laughs> assuming that for some reason my my doing the activity would make things different. Yeah. So I think you see that often, the, that kind of move of like, here, oh, you're having trouble. Let me try it. I can do this. No problem. But you didn't do you it the right the way. the exact same thing. You didn't do the, you didn't do yeah. the exact same thing the, the way keyboard, I'm going to. The keyboard doesn't care who's, who's holding the screwdriver. The keyboard cares that you're putting the screwdriver in the wrong place. Is that what was ultimately the problem? It was in the wrong place. <laughs> it took way too long to replace the keyboard. Uh, well, then. I also want to say another thing. Uh, um, I don't know if you saw last week. Uh, the same day you wrote your piece about team projections, I think, uh, Tony Blangino wrote about uh, ball-and-play leaders and laggards. Mm-hmm. And uh, a, a name that recurred throughout, And because you, you had sort of, I think you had mentioned the infield that the Padres plan to deploy. Well, the infield that the Twins plan to deploy is not necessarily uh, without fault as well. They, uh, In particular, Danny Santana. Yeah, I think it's with much fault, uh, the plan... Well, it's curious, right, because Danny Santana was, was uh, well, let me be careful with my words. I will say he had a great season, mm-hmm. especially relative to Danny Santana. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the chances of him replicating that are uh, not only appear unlikely, they appear nigh impossible. Yeah, they appear not. If we were to like, run a million simulations of his mm-hmm. 2015 season, it seems as though very, very few of them would be the equal of his 2014 season. Right. At every level in the minors, he was roughly an average hitter and frequently a little worse than that. And so to see him come up and, and have the same uh, WRC plus as, oh, Seth Smith. There you go. Exactly yeah. the same. Oh, wow. Seth very, Smith. very convenient. Yeah. Very convenient. Yeah. And Danny, you look at – this is where baseball analysis gets really easy. You look at Danny Santana, you think, wow, a 23-year-old who had a big breakthrough – in his his debut season. Well, let's look at whether that's going to happen again. What was his BABIP? What was his BABA? Well, it, the first number in it is a four. Well, yeah. then no. No, he's not that good. <laughs> Nobody is that good. It's probably going to start with a three. It could start with a two. And so you when you don't walk and you don't have power and you strike out a little too often, then you're not a good player. Yeah. Uh, although, play uh, really good defense. although his steamer projection is... Uh, it's it's fine. It's He's a below average hitter who plays defense. So yeah, yeah. there you go. Fine. He's go. fine. He's fine. Yeah. So the public perception of him will change. Let's say, oh, he's terrible, and then uh, eh, maybe he'll have a good career because he's not—he's not a uh, 
I don't think he's an excellent shortstop. Well, there's, there's a question for you. Outside of Minnesota, do you think there exists a public perception of Danny Santana? Probably not. If he played in the, with the Yankees, though, I think there would be. Like, would, is there, for example, on, listed on the Twins' depth chart at shortstop right now, there is a Jorge Polanco? No idea. Yeah. There's a, in fact, here are the Twins' current four listed shortstops. Danny Santana, yeah. Eduardo Escobar, Eduardo Nunez, Jorge Polanco. Yeah. What is ten years from now, and you look back on that? What the hell is that? Who are any of these players? They all sound the same. Yeah. And well, two I of them think, are named Eduardo. I think is one of the reasons why. I think that's why you're reacting. Then Nunez, of course, you have some perception because he was a Yankee, so you know some things about him, some exaggerations about him. Right. Uh, you know, some power, no defense. So he's a little unusual for shortstop in that he he should not be one. Mm-hmm. But I think that was acceptable in New York because they also had a shortstop who should not have been one, and so they kind of figured, well, why not two? Right. <sighs> Jeff Sullivan. Uh, I don't know. We just, uh, listen, the reason we did this today is because it's something you, you do. In life, there are certain things you do. Every uh, money, every uh, well, every day, uh, week, the beginning of the week, every mm-hmm. week at the beginning of the week, there's a, there's a podcast. And as you know, not as much has happened in the last week. And as you also know, probably note implicitly, we have, we're doing other things. You're with your family. Mm-hmm. I'm with my family. Mm-hmm. I'm with my wife's family. So it's different. But. Well, so uh, let's see. Here's a, well, in terms of baseball stuff, what's going on is Max Scherzer has no rumor, and there's the, the Blue Jays and Padres and Japanese team are interested in uh, Takashi Toritani, mm-hmm. who is a, a Japanese shortstop of 33 years. That's not true. He is 33 years old, and he is a Japanese shortstop. He's not been a Japanese shortstop since his birth. <laughs> Uh, although he has been a, one for a long time. He's, according to Scott Boris, his agent, which is an indicator of something. He's the Cal Ripken of Japan. And his whole thing is Ooh. that he doesn't even have, like, power that won't carry over to North America. He just doesn't have power. He is a guy who's posted OPPs that are basically his slugging percentages in Japan. So his whole deal is that he, uh, he can play short, allegedly. He doesn't miss games yet. And he walks more than he strikes out in Japan. So, right now, the Blue Jays have Ryan Goins and my Sarah's tourist and potentially Devon Travis a little later to play second base. And they're interested in Torridani to play second base. And the Padres have Alexi Amarista and I think uh, Clint Barmas to play shortstop. And so they're interested in Torridani as a shortstop. Or he could stay in Japan. And Torridani I think is really interesting because he has that sort of exotic foreign, we don't have a scouting report on this guy kind of feel. But do you honestly think that Torridani would be better than Alexi Amarista who projects to be a very mediocre utility player. Uh, I do, what's the answer? You say the answer, and I'll I'll agree with it. I assume the answer is Amarisa is no worse than Toritani is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whenever you get a player like this, you think he could be anything. Look at his numbers. But no, it's never really like that, right? And it's like this with uh, with Gong from Korea. It's like this with Cuban players. It's like this with hell, like uh, pitchers like Brandon Mara, Josh Johnson, or. Or Gavin Floyd are coming off injuries, and you just don't really know what they are. There's well, it was like that this. with I, I don't know how much uh, better or worse Tani is supposed to be than um, Hiroyuki Nakajima, mm-hmm. uh, but Nakajima came over what is for his age thirty season. Uh, he was signed by Oakland. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think probably his offensive profile was a little bit different. He had hit home runs more recently. He had a little more power than Tani. Uh, he probably did not. I don't think he controlled the plate as well, yep. uh, and maybe uh, well, roughly the same speed, maybe slightly better speed. But he's never. I don't. I guess he's never even played in the major leagues once. 
No, no, he never made it. And I think he's gone. I think he's gone back. Well, it's not shocking. If he if he hasn't gone back, I mean, he had uh, this year. He had uh, <clears throat> each of the last two years. He had over 300 plate appearances in the minors, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't really even do that much there. Uh, and we saw him on a Fangraph ship one time play shortstop. And, <laughs> yes, we did. And I am not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not paid to to scout, but um, yeah, he it didn't go. It it wasn't going well there for him. And you so say, it's well, be, yeah. I think it'll be interesting to see if uh, Toritani is going to be uh, pretty similar to like a Munenori Kawasaki. Although, if you look at Kawasaki when he was in Japan, he didn't. Now that I look at his numbers, he was not good. Oh, this is it. Wow, he was. He's not a good player in Japan. <laughs> his, his last year in Japan with uh, with SoftBank, and granted the different offensive environment and everything, uh, his OPS was 636. I kind of forgot about this. I forgot that how bad he was in Japan. But uh, he's he's come over and he's been a, uh, I would say a pretty bad, a pretty bad major league player who's occasionally had his uses. But he's, I, I thought maybe that comparison would be better because he's at least showed some semblance of strikes on control mm-hmm. in in uh, the states, and that he hasn't really swung much. Because I think he's more aware of his limitations than anybody else. Yeah. And I wonder if Toritani is just going to come over and kind of be a, a Kawasaki approximate. Yes. And then that I mean, would, would you rather have Munenori Kawasaki at shortstop or Alexi Amarista? And then the answer there is Amarista. Yeah, the answer is Amarista. Yeah. All right. So yeah. now, yeah, changing subjects because now you have me thinking about uh, Christmas and uh, and whatnot and all the th- and I'm also looking at the street and I just saw somebody go by on a bike and uh, and new toys. So you would think 20, 30, 40 years ago you have Christmas and then you, you get some toys as young people and you go out front yeah. or out back and you play with them. Maybe you throw a Frisbee, maybe you throw a ball, and the Frisbee or the ball or the toy that you throw or or toss gets stuck somewhere, uh, maybe in a tree, maybe on the roof. Oh, okay. And pretty, the reason this comes to mind is because... It's a pretty specific scenario you've, you've created here. Yeah, there's a common the common trope of, of losing a Frisbee on a roof okay. or maybe... Yeah. Losing something in a tree, things get stuck. Things, toys will get stuck in high places, and uh, I, I think back on this because for Christmas, an aunt uh, gifted three of us simultaneously a, a miniature drone, like a, a miniature flying drone. Wait, wait, for, when did this happen? Fun. Just now? Wait, for Christmas. What? This Christmas? This Christmas, an aunt gave us. You were given a, small, a drone this Christmas. A small drone. Not not a military drone, not a large drone, a drone that can fit in the palm of a few hands, and uh, and you can fly it with your your mobile phone. And this morning, uh, not to my knowledge, my brother was flying the drone out front, and he got stuck in a palm tree. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this could be a, this is a whole new generation of people getting crap stuck in trees that they got for Christmas. It used to be frisbees and balls and I don't know paper airplanes, and now. It is flying killing machines yeah. that are getting stuck in palm trees that you have to still fish out with like a ladder and a long pole. Hey, he got it. St- I, he got stuck in the tree pretty quickly. Yeah, he got stuck in the palm tree. You weren't even quickly. awake, or so. Uh, you, so you I, said. I, I don't know what I was doing. You I was dozing not watching at least. The drone. Yeah. Yeah. But I wonder now what's going to be stuck. So there's going to be people getting drones stuck in trees. That's just going to be a thing now, or on roofs, and they will have to be recovered, which is interesting. And then what's going to be getting stuck in trees in thirty or forty, fifty years? Us? Is it going to be people? Yeah. Our dogs? We're going to get some dogs stuck in trees. Yeah. Yeah. All right, we're done. We're uh, Gosh, that was abrupt. Yeah, we're done. I understand. What, whatever. There's nothing to discuss. No, there's not.
Yeah. Well, let's say let's say guys, stick around for a second, but we'll say goodbye uh, to the listeners. Right. Hey, well, thank you for listening to this. Thank you, thank you, Jeff Sullivan. Thank you, Carson Stooley. Yeah, it's been Jeff Sullivan, senior editor at Fangraphs.com. Carson Stooley, this has been Fangraphs Audio. <laughs>